You are listening to Exit the Drinking Life podcast. In this episode, I am interviewing Jane as she is sharing her exit story. And I want you to notice, pay attention and observe the cognitive dissonance that she had and the beliefs that shifted for her which is the number one thing that we talked about in the previous episode. And if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to that. Because then after this episode with Jane in the interview, the next episode is going to be part two around belief. Are you finding yourself drinking way more alcohol than you ever thought you would? Are you looking for a way to make alcohol an irrelevant part of your life? Then stay tuned. Because my name's Debbie Talbert, and I've been right where you've been. And each week, I'm going to bring you episodes helping you to do just that. Make alcohol irrelevant in your life. All righty. Hello, all my friends out there. I'm still going to call you my sober curious friends until we come up with a new name. <laughs> anyway, and, but you're always my friends. And I am so excited to be with you guys today because I have an amazing exit story for you guys today. And I actually don't know the whole story yet. So I'm going to find out part of it and parts of it with you. But I have Jane Coburn. Coburn, that's how you say your last name. And Jane and I met each other through Gray Area Drinkers Coach Certification. And it's Jolene's certification. And we're both, we were both taking the certification. And so we met each other there. And so I know little bits about her story and from that, but I would love for you to tell everybody like your beginning, like what was going on for you and what actually led you up to where you're realizing there, I've got to do something. Right. Short version. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you have ten hours? I'll you know, yeah. where do I start? <laughs> um well I think that what happened to me is that very early on in high school and then college, drinking became a big part of my social life. So there was always the tailgate before the football game, the, the party for this, the party for that. There was always, you know, in young adulthood, all of a sudden, everything that I was doing socially included alcohol. And I think that happens with a lot of young people. And some people it's fine and then they grow out of it or whatever. And other people, you know, it becomes more of a problem. But I think that's where really um, kind of equating socializing with alcohol started with me was late in high school, but really college. Um, and so when I got out of college, my first couple of years in my twenties, it was always like the work hard, play hard. I've always been a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I always wanted to do well. I, um, I always sought my worth from outside of myself. I didn't know that. This is me saying that about my former self. You know, I didn't know that at the time, but that's what I was doing. And so in a way, now people talk about perfectionism or, um, you know, finding your worth outside yourself as, you know, you shouldn't do that and it's a bad thing. But in a way, at that young age, it kind of saved me, I think, because I never wanted to go too far with drinking. I never tried any other drugs because it was like, oh, you know, I was scared of that. Um, 
drinking was the socially acceptable one so that I would use that. But other drugs, I never went there because it was like, I always had that, what would people think? Or, you know, I have to be perfect kind of person. And so I always worked really hard, did really well in school, got a job right outside of college, worked really hard in my jobs, but then I would need a release. So then we'd go out, my friends and I would go out and we would, you know, have party on the weekend, you know, a lot of binge kind of drinking. Um, and then I got married really young. I got married at 24, 24. And um, then my husband and I went to graduate school back to back. So even though we were young and we were married, one was working and one was in graduate school. So it kind of perpetuated that school kind of mode a bit. And so people were still a little bit in a school mode, go and drink on the you know Thursday and Friday nights kind of mode. And so it kind of went a little longer beyond college for me. Um, but, you know, my husband kind of stopped, like he would go out and drink, but not to the to excess or anything. You know, he was kind of growing up like people do. I would still go out on a Friday night and we'd all be out and I would get really plastered. But then the rest of the week I'd go to work. I'd do a really hard job. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink at all during the week, really at all. And so um, I didn't really see it as a problem at that point because everyone around me was, that's how everyone around me was drinking, or so I thought, you know. So when I was 26, uh, I was, you know, two years into my marriage, and we went to this thing for my husband's graduation from graduate school. It was some kind of awards dinner, and they were serving alcohol. And I got trashed and really embarrassed him. And I woke up that next morning and I was on the pull-out couch with a trash can next to me. And that devastated me because he had never not let me be in the bed if I had had a blackout night, you know, like that and newlyweds and everything. That freaked me out. And at the time, I'm 52 now, so that's a long time ago when I was 26. There was, I was like, what is wrong with me? How come, you know, I don't drink during the week, but then when I go out on a Friday night, I, I, lots of times I'll end up in a blackout and doesn't everybody. And, you know, I just didn't know why this was happening to me. And I know that sounds strange. It's like, well, you were the one drinking, but it, it's hard to explain to someone who doesn't do it. You know, it just was this automatic thing that then that's how my body reacted. And I didn't really know what to do. So the only thing I knew about was AA. But I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I didn't know much about it. So I called this number that I found in the phone book. And I went to, a woman told me that there was an AA meeting that night. And I went. And I walked in. It, back then, you could smoke at AA meetings. So there was like this layer cloud of smoke <laughs> on the room. It was in a church basement. Everyone there was way older than me. Way older than me. I felt so young. And they all told these stories that were so outside of my experience of being in rehab, being in jail, you know, losing everything, losing their, their spouses, their children, you know, these just horrific stories. And I was like this little graduate student, newlywed, you know, worked really hard, you know, person. I was like, these people are crazy. I mean, I'm just saying that's how I felt at the time, you know? Me too. I had the exact, like, it sounds exactly like what happened to me. Oh, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I left there 
And all it did was convince me that I wasn't an alcoholic. Like I exactly. people are crazy. That is not how I drink. I don't like the way I'm drinking right now. I don't like blacking out and drinking too much, but like, I'm, I'll just stop. Like, this is crazy. And I just like, I left there just really unsettled and just feeling like, oh, I don't have a problem. I can, I can drink a little. I just have to watch on these nights that I go out, you know, and I drink too much. So I, I pretty much did that for, you know, for, for 15, 16, 17 years. I didn't um, drink really that much. Um, I had two children in that time. I did not drink the entire time I was trying to get pregnant, was pregnant a couple months after pregnancy. I didn't, I didn't drink at all. Didn't miss it. Didn't, you know, it was fine. Um, when they were little, I drank, you know, if we went out, I, we would go out to something and I would drink, you know, drink again like that. And every once in a while slip back into that drinking too much, but I kind of always reined it in. And so the pattern was, don't really drink, maybe a glass of wine here and there with dinner. And then I'd go to some big event and I'd drink too much. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, ugh. And then I'd rein it in, you know, and then I wouldn't drink for a really long time. And that was kind of the pattern that I had for about 17 years. But um, I guess it was in 2010, I, 2009, 2010, I started, you know, a friend of mine said this very innocent comment. I was complaining to her one night when I was cooking dinner that I was tired and I was anxious and, you know, I wish I could have a glass of wine, a glass of wine. And she, who drinks extremely normally, said to me, well, what's, why can't you have a glass of wine? Just have, you know, I have a glass of wine when I cook dinner all the time. Just have a glass of wine, you know, whatever. So I said, oh, okay. So I bought a bottle of wine. And for like six months, I started having like a glass of wine while I was cooking dinner. And then maybe after I got the kids to bed, another glass of wine. And then, you know, later on, it was like another glass of wine. Still not every night, you know, a couple nights a week, if it was a really rough day and I was exhausted or whatever. But it still wasn't like this, physically addicted, you know, every night I had to have it kind of thing. Um, and then I just noticed that last spring in the spring of 2010, it just, I can't even explain it. It's just, I noticed, I felt almost like I was self-medicating. Like I started to notice that I would come home from work, be agitated, anxious, drink the wine, and then it would like, calm me down, you know, and for some reason, I just started noticing that. And I picked up this book, I was in the bookstore. And you know, nobody that has an issue with drinking does. You know, this is one of those things that like, now looking back, I'm like, Oh, Carolyn Knapp wrote a book called drinking a love story. It was way before now how there's a million books about stopping drinking a million books about people's addictions. It just wasn't like that back then. And so this was the first book that I saw that on the shelf and there was something about it and I picked it up and I read it and I read that book. And one of the things she said in there was if people who don't have a problem with alcohol, don't lay awake at night in bed, wondering if they have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And that, hit me like a ton of bricks 
because I still didn't think I was an alcoholic. I knew I wasn't physically addicted, but when I did drink, I did not, there was something off, you know, I didn't feel good. The next day I would wake up. A lot of times I would black out, not meaning to, but that's what would happen to me when I drank alcohol. I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning in a pool of sweat, just ashamed of myself, thinking, why did this happen again? Um, Worried that I embarrassed my husband, who was wonderful. Um, And so when I read that in her book, I thought, hmm, just because I'm not an alcoholic, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. There's something going on with my drinking that doesn't feel right. And me have a lot of shame about myself is making me not for days for a couple days after that I would just feel awful physically mentally emotionally and you know for days after that hang I would have the worst hangovers I don't know why anybody would have the hangovers that I had and ever drink again I don't understand it but that's what I would do um and so my my final exit in 2010 in June I had my 25th high school reunion and I was so excited to go to this. I have a wonderful high school graduating class. We're all, it's just a great class. And um, so I went up to New Jersey for that. I brought the kids with me, but my husband was on a work trip. So the kids were at my parents' house. I got a hotel room with girlfriends and we were going to have this fun, awesome night at my 25th high school reunion. And now I know that those pregame drinks, you know, that one or two glasses of wine before the party started. Right. I used to call them shower beers, you know, oh, in the shower, have a beer or whatever. Now I know that that was anxiety, that I was calming. I was anxious about the, this big event and I was calming myself down under the guise of, oh, party girl, party. You know, I was always the party girl. I was really loud. I was center of attention, trying to make everybody laugh. So under the guise of like, oh, party girl, it really, now I know, it was quelling some social anxiety and some anxiety about going into this reunion. So anyway, I go to the reunion. I end up drinking way too much. And it ends up fine. My friends take care of me. I go up to the hotel room. I go to bed. Nothing horrible happens, you know. I probably was slurring my words. And some people were kind of like, okay, that girl's way too drunk. But nothing happened. You know, I went to bed, wake up the next morning, sweating, sick, totally shame-filled. And I thought, oh, here I did it again, you know? So my best friend from childhood calls me and she wants to rehash the night that next morning after I get home to my parents' house. And she's saying, oh, can you believe it? And she's telling me this whole story about this classmate of ours that was trying to tell give a speech and people were being too loud. Nobody was paying attention. And she felt so bad for him. She's telling me this whole story. And I'm like, Oh, I must've missed that. I must've been in the bathroom or out in the hall talking to somebody. I don't, I don't remember that at all. I don't know what you're talking about. I missed that. About 10 minutes later, she texts me a picture or emails me at the time. I don't even know if we were doing that emails me a picture of him giving the speech and I'm standing next to him, like literally right next to this guy, oh my God. the speech that she was describing. I was blacked out. I mean, that just scares me so much. Thank God, you know, I'm okay, you know? So 
I was devastated because that was like this visual proof. You know, I, I had forgotten and you'd laugh about it with friends. Oh, what did we say? What did we do? Ha ha. It was kind of like this socially accepted thing. You know, this was like visual evidence. I did not remember a second of this speech of all that was going on. And I, and there was this picture of me standing next to him. That was devastating to me. So I, that afternoon I took my boys to see one of the Shreks was in 3D and they had, I had promised them I would take them. And so I felt so sick and I dragged myself, you know, I just put on a face, you know, positive, happy face, myself to the movie theater, brought them to the movie and in the dark in that movie, I just cried, tears streaming down my face, just crying and crying. And in my head over and over, I was saying to myself, this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm a good mother. I'm such, because I was a perfectionist, right? So I, I'm a great mother, you know? I'm a good mother. I kill myself with these kids. I do so much. I'm a good mother. I'm a good mother. You know, I'm, I'm worthy of, you know, everything that I have. And I'm not that person from last night who drank too much and blacked out and can't remember. I'm, this is who I am. I'm a good mother. I'm a good person. This is who I am. This is who I am. I'm just crying in the dark while they watch that movie, saying that to myself over and over again. And I just was like, I'm done. I'm done. And so um, I decided, you know, that was the night, that was the morning that I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And that is so, yeah, interesting. But then, now was it, because that's very interesting because really 2010 was when a big thing happened to me too. <laughs> like, oh, really? Something was in the stars. It was my daughter's wedding. Mm -hmm. And I do not remember it. Wow. Like, I was, at, I mean, literally, like she talks about it, to the, but it was the same thing. Like she was like, well, Ma, you were just like a person slurred or whatever. But I know, I remember nothing. Absolutely right. nothing. Right. I have no pictures. Wow. Because I guess I was no. Who knows what I was to be found like during the picture taking time? Like. Oh I my gosh. No pictures, and so that was my like devastating thing. But now, when you said, because for me, it still took seven years later for it to be completely done. But what happened? Like, what did you do when you had that in the movies and whatever? What did you do to help yourself? Like, was that it? You were finally, you were totally done? Or what kind of work did you do? Oh, well, so it was 2010, and there still wasn't anything. It's not, you know, I always think, gosh, the people who are trying to stop drinking now are so lucky. There's a million podcasts, programs online. You know, there's a bazillion alternatives. Right. And in 2010, there still wasn't. And so I went back to AA. Okay. But this time... I walked into the AA meeting. It was 17 years between, it was when I was 26 was when I went to that first one and I was 43 when I went to the second one. But this time when I went to the second one, it was almost all men again. They were all still older than me. <laughs> and they told all these stories, you know, really horrible stories that still had not happened to me, you know? And so I still didn't, I still didn't have a lot of similarities with the people in that room, but I think I was just ready to hear the similarities. So there were still all those differences, but I heard 
shame. I heard self-loathing. I heard not wanting to do something and then still doing it. You know, I heard some of these similarities. So even though I hadn't been to jail, hadn't been to rehab, hadn't lost my, my husband, my kids, nothing, you know, jobs, nothing, you know, um, something in me, I guess I was just ready. And I was able to pick out a couple of things in that meeting that sounded like me. And a man that I'm still, still know came up to me at the end and he said, tomorrow night there's another meeting and there's going to be a lot of, a lot more women go to it. And I think that you'll hear women that's, that you'll relate to. So go, you know, go, go to that meeting tomorrow night and talk to some women. And I said, okay. And I'm glad he did that because I did go to the meeting the next night and I did meet a lot of really cool women. And for two years, I was, you know, me, I'm like the perfectionist. perfectionist. I mean, I did AA like you wouldn't believe, you know, I did all the steps. I got a sponsor. I did everything they told me to do. And it was wonderful, you know, working the steps really, um, it makes you get honest with yourself and at least one other person about really what's going on. And the thing with me is that from the outside looking in, I looked wonderful. I looked fabulous. I was well-educated, had a good job, um, you know, had wonderful children who I was, who, um, I did everything for, um, I don't think I mentioned this, but both my boys are on the autism spectrum. And so, um, it was, it was a lot, you know, to deal with and a lot of challenges. My one son also has a seizure disorder, which is extremely challenging and stressful. And I got them to everything I could possibly think of, did everything I could possibly do for them, you know, um, worked really hard to help them partnered with their teachers and their programs and the other professionals working with them very closely. Um, my career is working with people with disabilities. So, and that started well before I had kids. So that can be stressful because you're helping people who are going through a lot of challenges. Right. So I, um, and I did it and, I, and I've been very happily married for years and years. We're, we're married 27 years this year. And so, and, and we have a great relationship. So, all of that was great. So you think, oh, well, why did you drink? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was all inside. And working those steps helped me get inside, helped me really look at what, okay, so you've created this fabulous facade, you know, and you're doing all these things and it's working for now. But why, so why do you feel like you need to grab that glass of wine or you need, well, or you need to over drink when you're at an event or whatever? Well, I was, I, I was crumbling inside. I was doing everything for everybody. I was trying to be super mom, super employee, super wife, super daughter, super sister, super friend, you know, everything. And in my mind, it was never enough. You know, I did all these things for my children every day, killed myself to try and help them with their, you know, their challenges. And then every night, you know, like they still had autism, you know, you can't fix, you know, everything. So it's still, you know, I'd be like, oh, it wasn't enough, you know, or the one time I snapped at my son after days and days and days of, you know, everything I, I would then, I was a bad mother, you know, and, and those thoughts you tell yourself. 
these are the oh, thoughts that I told myself. Yeah. And so instead of figuring out, really thinking about the thoughts that I told myself and seeing how I felt and labeling those emotions and being like, well, Jane, don't you think there's a reason that you're feeling all these ways? It's because you, these are really hard things you're dealing with, you know, right. and get all together and you're still doing all these other things. Like relax a little bit. You know, it's okay. You're allowed to be scared. You're allowed to be nervous. You're allowed to fear for your child's, you know, where your child is in life and the challenges they have. It's okay. But no, that wasn't okay. I had to look the part. And so I think the wine, you know, a glass or two of wine at night, it was the only tool that I had at that time to let my brain shut off a little bit and let my brain be like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know? Right. Yeah, we do get into that. Like, and I also think though, it's because we're marketed that that's the way to do it also. Right. Like, a lot of marketing that we see that points us in that direction too of yes. And especially for women and the wine. Like, yeah. If you really look at the ads and right. if you really pay attention, they're really targeting women and it's a way to unwind, de-stress, socialize. Right. And I find that very interesting that about the social, like the anxiety of socializing part. And I did an episode with a therapist a couple weeks ago about social anxiety. And a lot of people do self-medicate and after, and the therapist happens to be my sister. But anyway, so, and after the episode, like I'm listening to her and I'm asking her the questions, I'm doing it. And then we stop recording. I'm like, oh my God, I think I had social anxiety. She goes, oh yeah, duh, but I didn't want to stay down the episode. Like she was like, <laughs> so now I'm announcing it to the world. I guess she goes, yeah, I do believe in high school or whatever. You actually had social anxiety. Like you would have been diagnosed well, with yeah. that I personally had social anxiety. And mm -hmm. I do the same thing. I used this. I started when I was 18 and I used it to ease my anxiety in social situations. And then it just gradually does what alcohol does. Like progressively your brain likes it more and more and more and then talks you into, no, but this is what you need. This is how it's going to work. Right. So you said you had the two years and then what happened? Because you said two years specifically. So is there a but? Right. So, so then after that, I just kind of was like, I don't know. I, I felt good. I felt like everything was, you know, I wasn't drinking. I didn't, I didn't, you know, drink at all. And I did really well. Um, I got breast cancer. Oh, okay. Um, so I kind of stopped going to meetings. Just I was just the chemotherapy and the radiation. I had chemotherapy and then I had radiation and they made me very sick. And so my focus kind of was on just that, you know, just surviving and surviving my treatments and feeling as good as I could feel. And I just didn't really get myself to meetings at all. And I also didn't want to drink or drink. So I kind of was like, okay, well, that was good, but... I, you know, I, I don't think I need to keep going. Like I haven't been going and I'm fine. And then every once in a while, because I have friends there, I would go just to see some friends or a friend was having an anniversary, you know, they hadn't drank in two, three years or whatever, and they were going to have a cake. And so I'd go to a meeting and see everybody almost like a social event, you know, right. but I would hear things in those meetings. Like if I take a drink, I'll die. Well, if I took a drink, I wasn't going to die. I knew that if I took a drink, then maybe I wouldn't have another drink for 
weeks, months at a time. Like that's just how I drank, you know, and I wasn't physically addicted. I wasn't, you know, and so again, I would think I would go to one of those meetings every once in a while. And then I think, Oh, that was good. And it helped me so much in the beginning, but yeah, you know, I don't think I'm an alcoholic and whatever. And so that went on pretty much until 2000, until 2017. So almost seven years, I didn't have any alcohol. But the thing was, is that I had a lot of shame still. And I had resentment. I let resentment come back um, that I couldn't drink. And I would see on Facebook and in social media, all these people my age, you know, part, you know, at a party and drinking. And I'd be like, well, I know for a fact that person blacks out sometimes, or that person has hangovers sometimes. How come they're like seemingly having a fabulous time, you know, and able to drink? What's wrong with me? Why am I stopping myself from that? And so I started letting these resentment things creep in and also shame. So this is what I did to myself. I had shame around my drinking. Then I had shame around not drinking. So I couldn't win. Yeah. Due to myself, you know? Yeah, because I I had shame that I that I when I drank, you know, in, in a way that I didn't want to, but then I'd have shame that I'd see these other people drinking a lot or always partying or whatever, and, and they, you know, they didn't have any problems, seemingly. I mean, we don't know what's yeah, we don't know. People to this yeah. day say to me, Why don't you drink? You didn't drink that much. And I always try and say to them, Well, it's not the amount that I drank, it's how I felt after right. I drank. And how alcohol made me feel emotionally and physically. I don't want, I'm, I'm putting that away, you know? And it's so fascinating to me because if I had given up smoking, not what, people would be cheering me on and applauding me. If I say I don't drink, they're like, why? What's wrong with you? What, you know? Exactly. That's why I'm like, that's why I'm so glad there's this movement going right now. To right. Evolve. Because here's my philosophy. This is like, this is my, it's like, okay, when I was in the 70s, I grew up in the 70s, and when I was growing up, there were things that women were technically not allowed to do simply for the sheer fact that you were a woman, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't really, I wasn't aware totally because I wasn't trying to do any of them. In my family, I was a dynamic. I was going to have to get a husband. Like, that was my mm-hmm. role. I was going to get the husband. My sister was going to get the job. But anyway, but, and then we've evolved. I think there's still more evolving happening and going on, but we have evolved in how we think the roles women can and can't do. And then we evolved, like when I was growing up also, men could not love men. That was just not what you could, you know, it's very taboo. And now we've evolved in who gets to love who. And so I think it's time we evolve into like this area of drinking. Right. First of all, I think it needs to evolve in, because it is a drug. The sheer fact is it's a drug. And it needs to evolve to at least like cigarettes celebrating when someone doesn't do right. it, or at least, okay, so what? They don't drink. Right, like, right, exactly. So what? You know? Yeah, you don't have to celebrate me, but don't question me. Like what? Like just, it's yeah. just like, oh, that person drinks, that person doesn't drink. Who cares? You know? Exactly, like who cares? Right, right. But we're not there yet, but I think we're starting to evolve in a new I direction. I think we're getting there. Yeah. 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 Well, so after seven, almost seven years, I think um, I just was like, well, I haven't drank in seven years and 
whatever. Why am I punishing? You know, I saw it kind of as a punishment. Why am I punishing myself? And I can have a drink. So I had, you know, a drink here and there. Like I'd have a glass of wine, you know, one night. And then like a month went by and I had another, you know, glass of wine. And then um, a month went by and it was my son's high school graduation. So here we go, right? An event I'm planning, people are coming over, social anxiety. I'm an extremely extroverted person. I can talk to a wall. So I would have never said the word social anxiety to describe myself ever until I stopped drinking and I saw how nervous I was before events. And then I was like, oh, I am anxious. I am nervous. I think we all are to some extent, but we just push it away for whatever reason. So I ended up drinking at my son's high school graduation, not anywhere near blackout, not, you know, it was like more than I would have liked to, but not, you know, I wasn't hung over the next morning and I wasn't, I didn't blackout, nothing like that. Nothing. I didn't embarrass myself. It was a great party, whatever. But for me, it was enough that I was like, why, what am I doing? You know, why am I doing this again after seven years? Like, I just know where this ends up and this is stupid. So a couple days later, I'm at home. Some of my work lends to working at home. So I was working from home that day. Have not turned the TV on during the daytime since my kids were babies and we were watching Sesame Street. Like I literally never put the TV on during the day ever. And I was making my lunch and I don't know why, but in my head popped, oh, why don't I, I'll put the TV on and see what's on while I eat lunch. I put the TV on and the station that it was on was Megyn Kelly's show. I had never watched Megyn Kelly ever. And she is saying at me, coming up, mommies who have given up alcohol or something to that effect. And so, oh my God. Okay, that sounds good. I'm a mommy. I gave up alcohol for seven years and now I've drank a little bit in the last couple of months. Like, okay, so I left it on. And on that was Aiden um, Rowling, who, um, Dolly Rowling, I think her name is, or Rowling Dolly. I forget. I feel bad that I can't think of her name, but she was on there and there was a couple other women on there. I think Laura McCallum was on there, but they were talking about this movement of giving up alcohol before you're physically addicted, you know, before you just, not everybody has to drink and society embraces alcohol and defends alcohol like crazy. And it makes it hard for people like me who was like, you know what? I don't want to drink this anymore. And it doesn't feel right. I don't think I'm not physically addicted. I don't know what I am, but my relationship to alcohol is no longer serving me. I want to give it up. There wasn't, it was either you're an alcoholic, end-stage alcoholic, or you drink. There was nothing in between. And these women were talking about an in-between. And I was like, oh, you know, like. Yeah, they're singing my song. I was like, this is me. And Aiden said that she had a podcast named Edit Podcast that she did with Jolene Park. So I started listening to all the back episodes and listening to Jolene and Aiden. And unlike the AA meetings where I would have to like, really listen to find one or two things that someone said that related to my life. I'm not kidding. Everything that came out of Aiden's mouth and Jolene's mouth, I related to everything. I was like, this is how I drank. 
and they called it gray area drinking. And Jolene talks about that a lot. You know, it's not just black and white when it comes to alcohol. It's not a person who just drinks every once in a while normally or a person who has lost everything and is physically addicted. There's so much in between with people and the relationship to alcohol. And I was like, yes, I have found yeah. my tribe, you know? Exactly. Like, yes. My people, and, my people. Like, yes. my and daughter's like, home from work and she walks in her door and she goes, my people. Like that. And then that's <laughs> <laughs> She's like. <laughs> and so then I just stopped again. So then, and then, then I read Annie Grace, This Naked Mind. I heard about it on the podcast, on Jolene and Aiden's podcast. And so I read that book. And it was like the one-two punch, like the podcast with Aiden and Jolene, and then the, this naked mind, my shame went away. And I think that was the final piece, was that shame and looking at it as a punishment, looking at it as something I couldn't do, and something was wrong with me. Right. It completely took that away. It was like, no, anyone could have problems with alcohol. If you keep, it's an addictive substance if you keep putting it in your your body your brain has those dopamine uptakes then the brain wants that again and you get fooled into thinking that that's what you need you know and i consider myself extremely lucky that i didn't hit a horrible bottom i still have the same husband my kids are doing they're young adults now all that hard work has paid off they're doing fabulously um you know, they're on their own paths. And, and a big thing that came from giving up drinking was acceptance of what life is. Yes, my son has autism. Yes, he has seizures. Yes, it sucks. But look at all these things he is doing. And I found a practice of gratitude, practice of acceptance. You know, this is what life is. I don't have to drink over the fact that he had a, just had a seizure and I'm a wreck. I can right. take deep breaths and I can move on, you know? And it's so freeing and it's so, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just been amazing. And I, I call it an examined life. I live an examined life now. In the past, I tried to fit myself into what everybody else, what I thought everybody else wanted and what everybody else saw. And I worried about what everybody else thought. And um, now I... I don't, you know, now I have, I have, I feel my worth inside myself and I can be honest with myself. So if I am having a feeling and I yell or I do something that like, or I gossip, you know, with somebody and I didn't, then I'm driving shit. Why did I say that? You know, or why did I act that way? I can say, well, I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't have to go drink over this or go, you know, whatever. Why did it, why, how am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Okay, so then the next time I face a situation like that, I don't go, I don't go to that. When I start feeling my stomach churning or start feeling really anxious, I know I have the tools now to know what to do to deal with that anxiety. I don't have to grab for wine. I don't have to lash out at someone, you know? And so it's just, um, sometimes I worry that I sound like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's wonderful. It's not that. Like, I think people think, oh, so 
you stop drinking alcohol, you start getting in touch with your feelings, you start getting in touch with your body and how your body feels when you're feeling those feelings so that you make that shift and calm your nervous system down and you don't have to reach for another substance or yell or take it out on someone else. I think that um, people think, oh, then you're just going to skip through life with, you know, through daisies. And that's not true. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is something that Anne Lamott wrote. Life is messy. Hallelujah. Anyway. And it's like, yeah. life is hard. Shit happens. My kid still has seizures. They still have autism. They still struggle. I, you know, things happen. You know, my father just passed away last October and after a long, you know, battle with dementia and Parkinson's, that was difficult. You know, things, life is hard. This is life, but you don't have to numb yourself away from it. In fact, when I numbed myself, I, you, when you numb the pain, I also feel like you're numbing the rest of life too. So you're numbing the joy too. And so I get to see all the everyday life, find joy in all these things that I think I would have missed in the past. You know? Yeah, that's what I, I mean, I think a lot myself about would have missed moments. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really have any shame I mean, yeah, because shame is like, you can, uh, if you do anything from Brene Brown and she talks about vulnerability. And so it's like from the space and the feeling of shame, because the reality is we have a thought, then we have this feeling and then we act or react. Right. And so right. if we're in that feeling space of shame, you don't take actions moving you in a direction that you want to go. You right. let, like when I was in the space of shame, I would isolate, I would hibernate, I would withdraw, I would yell at people, I would blame everything, I would be like, a, and then I would go into victim role and be like I was the victim. And like mm -hmm. this was all happening to me. Like I had no control of the outside world. And I don't have control of the outside world, but I have control of what I think and what I feel. Right. And, but when you're, and I noticed that too, is yeah, sure, I went on this at first when I let go of the alcohol. I had a bunch of roller coaster emotions, but that's naturally what's going on with all your chemicals mm -hmm. trying to get back in balance. Right. And that can last from like three to six months. But once that's done, you don't have the emotional coaster of roller, you know, like emotional roller coaster emotions kind of thing. And you also start to notice, oh my God, I like all the greenery outside. I like looking at the ocean. I like when I hear it go up and down, like, but you, like, you have so numbed out of everything, you're not realizing that you're missing all that. Right, right. When it does happen. And then, and you are, you, then the truth is, it's like, I like to talk about, like, is the 50%, like, life is 50-50. Sure, maybe sometimes it's all 80% good and 20% a few things happen. But it, like, in the end, it balances out. It's 50-50. Yeah, life is hard. Part of life is hard. And what makes it manageable and is, is you realizing, oh, but the worst thing that's really, really going to happen is a feeling. Right. And I can feel my feelings. Right. But when you numb them all out, you don't get to feel them. Right. Because you don't know how. Right. And that's what, that's like, I love that part of your story because it just so fits in like, and kind of what I try to teach and what I've realized too. Well, the funny thing is I thought I was like such a badass. I was like, Oh, I'm, I can do anything. I'm not anxious. I, you know, I'm not, I never thought of myself as an anxious person. I didn't think of myself as a person who 
worried about what other people thought. You know, it's like a lot of this is unconscious, you know? Oh, and yeah. when I started to, when I stopped drinking and I started to work on myself in those first two years when I was doing the 12 steps, I was like, oh my God, I am like this afraid little child inside. Like, I didn't know I was this anxious, but I was letting myself feel it and sitting with it. Yeah. And such a good lesson to, I finally knew myself, you know, I wasn't always looking outside for approval. See, I didn't isolate. You said you would isolate when you, I mean, I overdid, that was my MO. Overdid, overdid, overdid for everybody to prove my worth, you know, to prove to myself that I was enough. And then crash. And I would need some wine to like feel better. You know what I mean? Because I was like overdoing, overdoing, overdoing. Then I'd complain and be resentful because I was doing everything for everybody. But I was make, I was creating that. You know, it's so funny, the clarity you have once you really at yourself, you know, and really let yourself just be and feel and, you know, and it, it's just fascinating to me. It's like, I would be resentful about all I had to do, but I was creating that. I had no boundaries. I could never say no to anyone, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just, just talking about it makes me so happy because it just makes me feel so much more free now. Yeah. It's awesome. Now, so I know how to have, yeah, know how to have boundaries. I can say no. I don't feel like, you know, I'm not responsible for how other people react to me, you know? Yeah. And this is also a, but this is, I think part of what with there being the, okay, you either do this quote unquote normal drinking or you are in the gutter person where people aren't, exposed a lot yet to like this gray area thing then you get to this you you don't really start learning to figure yourself out right? mm -hmm. you just use that as like okay well i'm not over there so i don't need to figure this out yet right like you kind of use that as an excuse like we did when we first went same thing happened right. first time i went i was like oh well, i'm not those people i guess i don't right. need to look at this i can just keep doing what i'm doing right. even though i'm not liking it right. <laughs> even though it seems off Right. Like, you know, and I think, so what would you say, because we're going to wrap it up here, but what would mm -hmm. you be the one advice you would give someone that really is in the gray area that would tell them if they're going I mean, like we felt? I, my biggest thing is go with your gut. Trust your gut. If alcohol is no longer serving you, if you feel in your gut, if you're laying awake at night and saying, Oh, I don't drink that much. All my, some of my friends drink more. Oh, I just drink every once in a while at this thing. But when you do, you're laying awake at night and you have this feeling in your gut that there is something between you and alcohol that is just not right. Yeah. Try it. Give it up. Give it up for 30 days. What's it going to hurt? Everybody nowadays, 30 day this, 30 day that, you know, give up sugar, give up this, give up carbs. Why can't alcohol be the same? Give it up, you know, for 30 days. Reach out. There's so much now on Instagram and on Facebook. There's all kinds of communities of people that have given up alcohol as for a choice, you know, as a choice. Um, well, I know you have one of those communities. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> like I said, reach out. Reach out to me. Um, well, my, I went through, like Debbie said in the beginning, I went through a uh, gray area drinker certification with Jolene Park 
and it was fabulous. And so my, um, my business is just called Jane Coburn Life Coach, colon Life Coach. And so you can, um, you can find me at www.janecoburn.life. And I work with people who are in the gray area of drinking or think they're in the gray area of drinking and want to try and give up alcohol before it becomes, you know, a big problem in their lives and they become physically addicted. I'm extremely passionate about this because I have seen people who are physically addicted and met and seen the wreckage that it caused in their life. And I want people to know that if there's just something in their gut telling them that alcohol is no longer serving them and they want to walk away, but they don't know how, and they don't know, you know, what they can do for themselves, for their nervous system, for everything after they stop drinking, that they, there is, you can do it. And it's like, a, I always say it's such a, it's a badass. It can be a badass choice. You can walk <laughs> no longer a choice. You can walk away before it's no longer a choice, you know? Yes. So um, I do life coaching. I do one-on-one life coaching and, um, and I love it. Thank you so much, Jane. This has been absolutely awesome having you on here on the episode today. And I know that many of the listeners are going to receive a lot of benefit from your story and your sharing and your openness. I really, really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope, I hope that if I just said one thing that speaks to someone and helps them, then I'm glad I did it. You have been listening to Exit the Drinking Life podcast with Debbie Talbert. It is my honor, pleasure, and joy to come to you each and every week with insight, information, ideas, tools, and tips to help you exit the drinking life. If you'd like to know more about how you can work with me directly, then go to jumpseatcoaching.com and there you can find out everything I offer and how we can connect and work together directly.